0: Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman and so father tonight we ask once again that our hearts would be open to you and also Lord help us be attentive as we come in perhaps after a long day and and being up early and working hard and we're in the middle of the week Lord that you would help us to to keep focused and attentive to what it is that you want us teach us tonight very important lessons about m- murmuring and complaining what causes it and then what are we to do when we find ourselves in that situation and so lord we want to learn and, and we want to walk in obedience we desire to please you with our lives so open our ears to hear from you tonight in jesus name amen you recall that last week in numbers chapter 11 that it was uh moses that was hearing the complaining of the people as The people were complaining. There was a fire that uh, would go throughout the camp on the outskirts uh, from the Lord that would consume some of the people. Because as we saw that they were complaining, the Lord heard it and he was displeased with it. And as they were complaining, we saw the reason that they were complaining because they didn't like the provision of God out there in the wilderness. They were tired of the manna and they were making it in every kind of way. And they said, we want to go back to Egypt where there's fish and Onions and leets, no offense, Dennis, um, onion grower. Um, there was the cucumbers. Onions are very good for you, so eat those onions. So, But they wanted to go back to Egypt, and they they wanted to stay there, and they were tired of God's provision out there, and it displeased the Lord. So that was one of the causes that that we talked about, that one of the motivations or one of the under- Uh, mining things that will cause any of us to complain when we begin to complain against the provision that God has given to us. And so here was a nation that had come out of Egypt. They were free finally from the bondage of Egypt after 400 years. They saw the mighty hand of God coming down upon the Egyptians to where they would go out And they would become a nation, and a nation that was unique among the other nations in that, that they had the presence of God with them. They had the promises of God. They came to the mountain of God after God had drowned the Egyptian army. His protection was with them, and he gave them the law. He would give them the religious and ceremonial and civil laws in which they were to live by, and we saw that God has provided the manna for them to eat out there in the wilderness. He provided water for them so they can have that water to drink from in that hot, dry desert. It was a nation that had many people, but yet God was in their midst. And we saw as as we're going through the book of Numbers here and have seen that God has been organizing them. He's organized them and how they are to set up camp and how they are to march in a different uh, things that have been given to them in the tabernacle, in the middle of the camp, the tabernacle ministry that takes place as the priest comes in and he does the sacrifices this is a way for them to come to God, to approach God through the sacrifices, through the offerings. And then we also saw the responsibilities of the Levites. So God is, is really working with this nation. But one of the things is, is he has promised them that I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you a good land and that's the thing to keep in mind because in that he is saying not only is this land going to be where you can go and make a living and and plant orchards and you can farm it and grow wheat and and other things but it's a land flowing with milk and honey which means that it was an exceptional land it was like a land of luxury is what it's going to be and we're going to see how the land produced such wonderful fruit in the next chapter But with that, they really didn't have anything to complain about. And yet here they were complaining against the provision of God in the manna. They wanted meat. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to be able to eat the meat that was there and the fish and the other things. But they had forgotten about the bondage they were in. They had forgotten about the slavery. They had forgotten about that they weren't a free people. And they had forgotten about the promise that God was going to give them something better. And that was the land flowing with milk and honey. That is the land of Canaan, the Uh, promise that he gave to abraham isaac and jacob and so whenever we get to the point as a christian that we begin to murmur against the provision of the lord and he has provided so much for us hasn't he he's brought us out of egypt he's brought us out of the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin he's brought us out of the bondage of the world and so now we are free and he promises us an abundant life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. Now, one of the things, and I'll reiterate this again next week, is oftentimes I hear Bible teachers talk about how the promised lamb is symbolic of heaven. I don't believe it is symbolic of heaven because when they go into the promised land in the book of Joshua, what happens? They end up having battles. And when I go to heaven, I don't think that I'm going to have to do battle. And so it's going to be so wonderful and, and so uh, we're going to be with our Lord. And when He comes to rule and reign here on this earth, we're going to rule and reign with Him. And so that promised land that they were going to go into speaks of that abundant life that the Lord desires to work in our lives as we trust in Him, as we believe His promises, and that we're standing fast in the faith. And so here were they out there in the wilderness. We want to go back to Egypt. And they've forgotten the promises and the the wonderful provision of God, that he was in their midst and he had protected them. He drowned the Egyptian army. And whenever we get to that point where we forget about how Jesus Christ has saved us and he's forgiven us and how he's blessed us, we have every heavenly blessing that is ours. We have an inheritance. We are chosen by him. We have his promises that we can stand on. What will happen is, is we begin to murmur and complain and it's very easy for our human nature to do that and it's very easy to do in society in which we live in because we live in a society where we like to murmur and complain we want more we're not happy with what we have and so one of the things that the new testament says is that we need to learn to be content learn to be content where the lord has you how he's provided for you but also now as we move into chapter 12 We see that this murmuring complaining is going to continue now in chapter 11 you recall again the lord heard their complaining he was displeased with them and he dealt very harshly with them and so we see the heart of god when there is murmuring and complaining They came against Moses in chapter 11 because Moses cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, how am I to carry this burden with all these people? Where am I going to get all this meat that they want? I can't do this alone. And if it is left to me to to bear this alone, then just kill me right now. Moses was ready to hand in his resignation letter. He knew that he couldn't deal with this situation. So God deals with it, and he deals with it in a very harsh way. He brings a plague as after the quail would come flying into camp. He said, Moses, they want quail, they're going to get quail. And so the quail would come in. Each individual would collect at least 10 homers. That's many bushels of quails that each person would collect as they came in and crashed into the camp. And so as they were eating the meat, some of them would die by this plague. And I know this, that whenever we get to the point of our lives where we're just murmuring, complaining, because we're not content and we're not uh, having a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has provided for us, it begins to plague us and it will plague your heart. And so we see that, that underlying factor of the complaining that was uh, not content with what God had provided. Here in chapter 12, there's another reason why they were complaining. And what we're going to see here is the underlying factor that causes complaining between Miriam and Aaron. Miriam and Aaron, as we see here, are complaining against Moses. Miriam is the sister of Moses, the older sister of Moses. And so is Aaron. He is the older brother. So these siblings here are coming against Moses, complaining, and the underlying factor for this time that we're going to see is envy. Now, envy and jealousy is is very closely related to, to Covetousness, covetousness. one of the Ten Commandments, do not covet, is wanting something that somebody else has. But the underlying factor for that, the motivation for covetousness, is envy. Envy says that I want what you have, and I can't have it. So I am very envious. I am envious of that position, perhaps, that you have. I am envious of that ministry, perhaps, that you have that I don't have. I am envious of whatever it is that you have that I can't have. And then it leads to to covetousness, and it leads to complaining and murmuring. And once again, we're going to see what God's heart is towards this. In chapters 13 and 14, the murmuring is going to continue, but this time it's going to be the underlying factor is unbelief. And so these things are important for us to understand what displeases the lord what leads to murmuring and complaining and that is being discontent with god's provision second of all envy here that we're going to get into in just a moment and then also unbelief that is that you begin to doubt and and complain against god's promises that you say that god your promises are not true in my life and we're going to see that take place very clearly next time but first let's worry about chapter 12 here is miriam and aaron You know, Marion, back in the book of Exodus, remember that she, in chapter 2, was the one that watched her little brother Moses float down the Nile River. The decree had gone out by Pharaoh that all the male children should be killed and drowned in the river. And so there was Moses that was born, and his mother saw that he was beautiful, and she hid him, nursed him for a while, but she knew that she couldn't hide him any longer. So she made a little ark, a little boat for him to float down the Nile. It was Miriam that would watch to see what would happen. And, of course, it was the daughter of Pharaoh that would take Moses in. We know that Marian also in Exodus chapter 15 was the one that led the congregation in worship after the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea. She would take her tambourine and begin to worship. She was called a prophetess. And so here is Marian being used of the Lord. She's a worshiper. She's one that has spoke the things of God. And at this time, though, they're out in the wilderness. She begins to complain against Moses. And here is Aaron, Moses' other Sibling, His older brother, Aaron, is three years older than Moses. You see that he joins in with this murmuring. But we're going to see very clearly that Mary is the one that is leading this. And they spoke against Moses, first 1, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now we also know from the book of Exodus that it was Moses when, after he had left Egypt when he was 40 years old. We know the first 40 years of his life, he was raised by Pharaoh in the palace of Pharaoh. We know that he would learn all the understanding and the wisdom of Egypt. He would choose to, at that time at 40 years of age, as Hebrew tells us, and also as the book of Exodus indicates to us, is that he would leave that to go suffer with his brethren. And it was that time that Moses would kill the Egyptian, and of course it would be found out, and so he had to flee. He would go for the next 40 years off to Midian, and there he would meet uh, Jethro, and he would meet his future wife, which was Sappara. And Sappara, she was one that would be with Moses, as we know that he would come into Egypt after that 40 years to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we know a little bit about her, not too much. We know that when they were coming to Egypt after God had told Moses from the burning bush, that I'm going to use you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. That we know that it was that incident that we see that the Lord was going to strike Moses, and, and Moses hadn't circumcised his son. And so his wife Sapporo would take that knife, circumcise you know, her son, and throw the foreskin at Moses and say, you're a bloody husband to me. So sh- she was not a Hebrew. She was not accustomed to that. She was a Midianite. And so we don't know much more about her. We suspect here at this time there's all kinds of thought. When you initially read verse 1 here, the thought is, is that Moses went ahead and married another woman. Some scholars suggest that Sapporo had passed away, but the scripture does not indicate that at all. We think that perhaps that maybe Moses had two wives, that Sapporo and then also an Ethiopian woman. But I want to make a suggestion that many scholars make, and that is that it is be, being spoken of here of Sapporo. And the reason that I say that is because the Minyanites were very closely related to the Kushites. The Kushites were in that area of northern Africa, Ethiopia, northern Sudan, in that area, and they would travel, they would have trade with the Minyanites. So it very well possibly could be that her family, Sapporo's family, father or mother, came from that area Ethiopia and it's being referred to as as her she's the one that is an Ethiopian by birth and so that's a possibility whatever the case may be because there's no indication in the scripture that Moses had two wives only the one wife but if it is speaking about her if it is speaking about another wife that he married we see here that they complain against Moses because of his wife. And so they said in verse 2, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Note, once again, the Lord heard it, just as he heard it in chapter 11. So don't ever think that when you murmur and complain because you're envious or because you're not content or because you're doubting God's promises and doubting what God is going to do in your life and you begin to murmur against the Lord and his promises, don't think that he doesn't hear it. He does hear it. He heard it 3,500 years ago. He hears it today. And so he hears it once again. And then verse 3, Now the man, Moses, was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So here was Marion. Here was Aaron, the high priest. Marion, the prophetess. They first of all come against Moses, against his wife. And here we understand as we move on in verse 2 that that really wasn't the issue. The real issue was envy. The real issue was, hey, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. Has the Lord just spoken through you? It was a cover-up. And oftentimes that will happen. Sometimes people w- will be feeling envious or whatever it might be, and envy works in this way because I've seen it work in this way, and they'll begin to personally attack somebody or personally begin to attack the family, personally attack somebody's spouse or their kids or whatever it might be. But the underlying factor is that there's envy, and so it comes out. as First of all, they come against Moses. Now again, the thing to point out, in chapter 11, when they began to complain, they didn't have any sin issue that they were complaining against or concerned about. There wasn't any um, sin with Moses that was going on. There, There wasn't any concern where the people were in danger or there was a lack of provision. They just were carnal, and they wanted meat. And that's what they would complain about, is we don't have the meat, we want it, and the Lord said, I'll give you the meat. And that's what carnality will do. If you just, if it grows like a monster, and you want more, and I want more, it begins to consume you. And that's what happened, that they had a plague that would come and consume them. But there wasn't no sin issue here. There's no sin issue here. There's no sin issue that we know of. They just come against Moses' wife. But really the issue is, have you... You know, Lord only spoken to Moses as they come and say, Moses, you are proud. You take too much upon yourself. We're going to see that this is going to be the same accusation against Moses and Aaron when we get to chapter 16 of Numbers, when some of the leaders of the children of Israel come to Moses and they say, hey, you take too much upon yourself, Moses. Now, in verse three, it says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now, who wrote this book? It was Moses. And I just wonder if it was a little bit odd for him to write that down here in verse 3. But he, of course, was inspired by God to write this book. And think about this. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy at the end, he writes about his death. He writes about the, all the events that surround his death and even what happens after his death. That must have been a little odd for him to write about, writing about his own death. But Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth because this is inspired by God. And it took 40 years for God to humble Moses. We know from Stephen's address there in Acts chapter 7 when he was standing before the Sanhedrin council. Stephen, the first Christian that would be martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in that address, he begins to talk to the religious council about the history of Israel. And he's speaking about Moses and how Moses was increased in knowledge and wisdom of Egypt. But he chose to go and be with his brethren. And it was at that time, Stephen indicates to us, that Moses thought that he would be the deliverer. And you see that indication there in the book of Exodus. He was one that was sticking his nose in everybody's business, wasn't he? He was, saw that Egyptian that was beaten on a Hebrew, and so he killed the Egyptian, buried the Egyptian. The next day, two Hebrews are fighting. He breaks them up and says, Hey, brothers, don't be doing this. And they said, Who made you a judge over us? In other words, they understood that Moses came out he was mighty in stature and in wisdom. He was probably in line to be the next pharaoh. He gives that all up, which was very noble for him to do, to go out and suffer affliction for his brethren, as Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. But he thought, I'm going to deliver them right now. And the Lord said, no, Moses, I got to do some work in you. And so he got scared when the answer came from those two Hebrews, are you going to you know, kill us like you did the Egyptian and buried them in the sand? And so he knew that Pharaoh would find out and that he would be executed for that. So he takes off and he goes to Midian for 40 years, herding sheep. It took 40 years for God to humble Moses to the point where now, Moses, I'm going to call you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what was the response of Moses when God told him that at the burning bush? It was Moses that said, Lord, who am I? Lord, who am I to go to Pharaoh? For 40 years, it took God to get Egypt out of him and to humble him to where he became the most humble man on the face of the earth. And the reason that I keep stressing this point is because the man, the woman that God truly uses in a powerful way, in the most effective way, is the one who humbles himself. And the characteristic of a Christian is to be one of humility. We saw that very clearly going through Matthew's Gospel, didn't we? It was the disciples that came to Jesus and said... You know, how can we become great in the kingdom of God? And I find it interesting, Jesus didn't rebuke them, he answered their question. Now he would get irritated a little bit later because that discussion continued. But he would take a child, as Matthew chapter 18 tells us, and he would put him in the midst of the disciples and said, If you want to be humble, I'm using this child as an example. You must come to childlike faith in me. You must receive one of these little ones. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. Now, we like to throw that word servant around. I'm going to be a servant of the Lord. We love to have servanthood programs, but oftentimes we don't like to be treated like a servant. And to be one that is truly a servant is going to be marked with humility. Is one who, you know what, I'm going to die to self, I'm going to pick up my cross, and I'm going to follow you. And if the world doesn't notice me, or I'm not in the limelight, or become popular or famous or whatever it might be, or come, become one of prestige, then that's okay, Lord, because you're the one to be exalted. And I know that is something that I'll speak for myself, but probably a lot of us can echo this and agree with it, that the Lord has to work humility in me because it doesn't come naturally. And we all, at that point, we want to be noticed and exalted or we want to be in a limelight, whatever it might be. It feels good, doesn't it? And I need to always be praying, Lord, humble me and keep me in that place of humility. Keep me in that place of holiness. Keep me in that place of honesty. And so he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And we've seen that humility displayed in Moses' life, haven't we, in the last chapter. He, he was like, you know what, Lord, I can't do this. I, and, and I'm ready to quit if you aren't going to be there to help me. He understood his limitations. He was one that when those two individuals were prophesying, me dad and Meldad as they were prophesying in the camp there and and it was joshua who said you know moses there's two out there prophesying the camp tell them to stop moses said no no don't i wish i would prophesy he wasn't one that was thinking well they're going to take my thunder away i'm the only one that really should be prophesying go and get them and let's deal with them but moses was in that place where he was humble before the Lord. He would intercede on behalf of the people. We're going to see that he'll continue to do that. He's going to intercede on behalf of his sister here. So here he is. The underlying issue is really envy, coming against Moses' spiritual authority, indicating that he was proud when he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. They accuse him of... Nothing that is biblically wrong here. Nothing that is displeasing to the Lord. But they're just murmuring because, you know, I'm a prophetess. I should have more that I should do, Marion's saying. Aaron, he's the high priest. Hey, I got a pretty important position. We want more. And so verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Marion, come out, you three, to the tabernacle meeting. So the three came out. I just wonder, when the Lord called, Aaron and Marion and Moses, he called them out and said, Come here. What was Marion and Aaron thinking? I just wonder if they were thinking, Uh oh. <laughs> or if they were thinking, You know what? The Lord's going to vindicate us, He's going to pat us on the back. I want to remind this that don't ever think that when you have a spirit of discontent, when you have a spirit of being envious. When you have a spirit of covetousness, complaining, and murmuring, don't think that the Lord is going to approve that. Don't think that the Lord's going to pat you on the back. But the Lord's going to deal with you. And we need to understand very clearly here how it is that the Lord feels about those kinds of things in living our lives as Christians that we are to be ones to be content and not to be envious. And we are to be ones that Lord, my heart needs to be right towards my brother, towards my sister, towards other people in a way that you want me to love them and reach out to them and minister to them. But here, I wonder if they're thinking, okay, Moses is going to get it now. Or maybe they knew that they were in trouble. I don't know. But never think, never, that the Lord's going to approve that you're going to tear somebody up, down so you can be lifted up. I'm going to tear that person down or I'm going to tear their family down. If I can't get to them, then I'll go around and I'll try to get to their spouse and criticize them or criticize their children. You know how it works. Because we are people that can do that. Somehow I'm going to tear them down, put them in a bad light so I can be elevated in a good light. And the thing about it is, is that people will begin to see right through that. And God will not honor that, and he will not bless it, and he will not approve it. And so verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And then he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against him, and he departed. These guys got rebuked strongly, didn't they? But notice again here in in verse 6, hear my words now. In other words, listen to my words. Hear my words. Listen to God and what he has to say. And what the Lord is saying here is, Marian and Aaron, you need to understand this, that I chose Moses, and I made myself known to him. And I gave him this ministry to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. I didn't choose you to do that. You have ministry that you are called to do. But I chose him to do this, and he has been faithful, second of all, in all my house, So don't come against God's servants that are faithful and humble in in service to him. Don't try to to lift yourself up and, and assert your own authority is what the Lord is saying here. Don't be doing those things. And there can be a tendency when we have that envy that is in our hearts and grips our hearts that I'm going to assert my own authority when you haven't been called to do that thing, that position perhaps that you want at work. Maybe that ministry that somebody else has been called to do. And here is Moses being faithful to the Lord, and the Lord reminds him of it. He's been faithful and humble in service, and then thirdly, he's a man of prayer. I speak to him face to face. I speak with Moses, and I let myself be known to Moses. So, Marion and Aaron, why weren't you afraid to speak against Moses, my servant, this whispering campaign that you've begun? I don't want to be self-serving tonight in teaching this. But all of us need to understand it, in whatever situation it might be, maybe it might be at the workplace where you think I deserve that position. My boss, he's not as smart as me. Boy, if I was... The boss, or I was the supervisor, or I was running the company. I do it right, and so you begin to tear them down so you can make yourself look good. And you're not a, f- you know, you're in that place of being rebellious. You're in that place of complaining and murmuring. And again, it's a bad place for a Christian to be. It may be I've seen it in the church where that position that person has in ministry. Where envy and jealousy begins to take place. And you don't want to go there. Because God's got something for you to do. And that's an important ministry. And if He's got something for you to do, He'll place you in that ministry. He'll place you in that position. But you don't go against God's servants who are faithful and humbly serving Him. And unfortunately, I've seen it in the church. I've seen pastors go through it. And here's the thing. When people are in ministry and are called to ministry, there's a cost that a lot of times that you don't understand. And this is part of the cost. There was a young man that I was talking to just last week. He just started Calvary Chapel just a short time ago. He called me up and he says, you know, the first uh, short while it's been pretty good. The first year or so, no problems. And all of a sudden, he's got somebody coming against him. And I said, you're going you're gonna to face that. I tell these guys, when you go into ministry, you can put a target on your back because that's going to happen. And know that God's going to deal with it, and there's biblical ways in which to deal with. But understand that your supervisor or boss is facing pressures and responsibilities and problems that a lot of times you don't even know about that pastors and ministry leaders are facing problems and responsibilities and situations that you have no idea what it's like, what it is that they're facing, or the information that they have, or whatever it might be. So that's why it's very important that you're careful in a whispering campaign against those who are in positions of authority or position of serving or whatever it might be. And so here the Lord is saying, as he was aroused, this, this complaining, and the Lord was grieved, and know this that it grieves the Lord when that takes place. You're plain, plain, complaining against Him when I have been so good to you, and I've placed you where I want you to be. And so the anger of the Lord arose against him and He departed. The Lord just left. He was grieved. You know, again, one of the things is is that if you continue to do that, people begin to see that. As they said, they begin to understand that person's just envious. And pretty soon they'll begin to depart. They're not going to back you up. They're going to see right through it, just as God saw what was going on. And so who was the one that was full of pride? It was Aaron, it was Miriam. They're the ones being petty and self-motivated. And so verse 10, And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper, so Moses, or Aaron said to Moses, "Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So here we see that Marian is struck with leprosy an advanced stage of it, isn't she? I mean, she's lepers white as snow. And then Aaron realizes that he's done foolishly as he admits that we've done foolishly. But notice this that it is Aaron that said to Moses. He said, Moses, we have done foolishly. He didn't cry out to God. He cries out to Moses. You know, it's interesting. As I look at Aaron more and more, I see that Aaron, it was by God's grace that he was put in his position of high priest because Aaron, in a lot of ways, wasn't a very good leader. You remember back in the book of Exodus when Moses was up on the mountain for a while, receiving the law of God, and the people are down below saying, What has become of the man of Moses? Aaron, you make us a God to bring us out of here into the land of promise. And so he would have them all throw in their gold and jewelry, and they fashioned a golden calf. And, of course, Moses heard God what was going on, and you better get down there, Moses. And Moses went down from the mountain, and he said to Aaron, Aaron, what have, what have the people done to you that you would sin such a great sin? Well, you know these people, Aaron said, they're so stiff-necked, we just threw some jewelry there in the fire, and poof, out came a golden calf. He lied. <laughs> he, would to, he would cave in to people, is what he would do. The cries of the people. Well, these people, it's their fault. And Moses, we didn't know what became of you, it's your fault. And here he would cave in to the cry of Marion, who was leading this attack against her brother. And he turns to Moses here and, and he says, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Moses didn't lay it on him. The Lord said to them very specifically, This is sin. You know, sometimes when people go through those times of being envious and rebellious and leading attacks and all this, and the consequences come out, they begin to reap that harvest the seeds that they had planted, they begin to blame other people. They begin to blame everybody else. Well, you don't understand. And, and, and why am I you know, being blamed and all this other stuff? I've seen it happen so many times because they haven't truly repented. They haven't gone to the Lord and said, Lord, you're the one that says that it's wrong. And here's Aaron here, caving in to Marion. He realizes he's done foolishly. He says his, sees his sister white as snow. He's sorry for the consequences of what's happened. But he, here he's talking to Moses, saying, don't lay the sin on us in which we've done foolishly, in which we have sinned. And so verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Notice again the humble heart of Moses, that heart of a shepherd, a true shepherd. He prays for healing here. He doesn't turn to Mary and say, well, that'll teach you a lesson. I hope you're full of pain and you're being eaten away. And don't you dare touch the Lord's anointed ever again. It does sadden me to see what happens to that person who has that rebellious, critical, complaining spirit. Because I do know that eventually that God is going to deal with them and there's going to be spiritual decay that's going to take place. Do you know that? It'll begin to eat away at you spiritually. And one of the things about leprosy, when the advanced stages of leprosy would happen, that skin disease, is that the person who had leprosy would have sores as, and, and it would ooze with, um, you know, this, as it was being eaten away at the skin and stuff. And, and you could smell the decaying that was taking place the sores that were oozing in all of this. And they said that you can smell a leper 100 feet away. Rebellious spirit, it stinks. And as it stinks not only to the nostrils of our Lord, it does to other people as well. And that's where the rotting away takes place. Do we understand how God sees this, the complaining and the murmuring and the envious and all of this and tearing people down so I can be elevated? He he sees it as something very serious that is displeasing to him. And so verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had put spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. A couple things, and then we'll wrap it up. A couple things that will help us if we feel like that we're becoming ones that are complaining or envious or discontent or whatever it might be. That we see that because she was leper, she would be put outside the camp. And here in, in verse 14, if, if her father had spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? It kind of goes back to Leviticus chapter 15, a, a discharge that she, you know, would be considered unclean for seven days. But, you know, to, to spit in somebody's face, it, it spoke of shame. And Marian, she has really shamed the heart of the Lord and the prophet of God that he had chosen by doing this thing. So she would be put out of the camp, and the healing would eventually come. But here's the thing. For seven days, the people had to stay put, and they did not journey till that time was over. What complaining and murmuring and coming against others can stop the work of what God wants to do for a long period of time? And I've seen it happen. I have seen it happen in a church and heard it happen in a church to where there was complaining against, uh, you know, the pastor, not a sin issue. But we just don't like him. The church isn't growing enough. Or we don't like this. We don't like that. Or the color of chairs that he bought. And that can begin to spread to where the work of God stops for weeks and months, for even years. And that's what happens when a whispering campaign comes against the people at the workplace. You know it to be true, that it's very difficult for them to work in that situation. The work of what needs to be done stops or diminishes. It's the same in the body of Christ, and we need to understand that. They had to stop for seven days and wait for Miriam. And they were stagnant, three million people, because of her whispering campaign against her brother Moses against the leader of the children of Israel. And the same thing happens in ministry, in churches, in the mission field, whatever it might be, whispering, coming against. And all of a sudden, everything stops to try to address that when it's not addressed in a biblical manner. See, she was murmuring against Moses. She didn't come to Moses with her concern. So the work stopped. So, as we close tonight, and I wanted to get through chapter 13, but there's too much in chapter 13. As you're here tonight, maybe you might be thinking, well, maybe in my heart I'm dealing with discontent. I'm, I'm dealing with being envious of somebody. There's three things I want to pass along that you do. First of all, you consider. Consider what Jesus has done for you, how good he has been to you, how he has saved you, how he's forgiven you, how he has sanctified you, set you apart for his purposes. He's gifted you. He's provided for you, given you of his promises, which are true for you. He's given you of his Holy Spirit. Consider what, how much Jesus has done for you, and then be thankful for that. And may it cause us to be humble. Moses was humbled by the working of God in bringing them out of Egypt. We've been brought out of Egypt, and may we be humbled by that. But consider him, and that's one of the things that we're going to see when we move into chapter thirteen and fourteen, and they continue with this murmuring. That is the author of Hebrews in chapter three that's going to mention it. But the theme of Hebrews is consider Jesus, and in chapter two, one of the the points that is being made but we see Jesus is what the author writes but we see Jesus all these things that you may be looking to but we see Jesus he is our salvation he is the one that sanctified us and forgiven us and died for us he's the one that's sufficient for us so you consider him and keep your eyes focused on him you begin to get your eyes focused on somebody else and pretty soon you'll find somebody that that you don't like or you complain or nitpick or whatever it is, if you just begin to focus on other people to be negative against. You keep your eyes on the Lord and you keep focused on him. Second of all, if you feel like that, you know what, Lord, as I consider, I consider, Lord, what you have done, and, Lord, I need to consider this, that maybe my heart isn't right. And then as the Lord begins to minister to you, second of all, the second C is that you confess. Confess it to the Lord. That's something that Aaron didn't do. He says to Moses, Moses, don't lay this sin on us. We've done foolishly, but he didn't cry out to the Lord. It's not recorded here. But you cry out to the Lord and confess it. And confession means that I am in agreement with you, Lord, how you feel about this, that my heart is wrong, that, Lord, that I am doing wrong. And don't be blaming everybody else or making excuses or trying to, you know, just uh, pass it off. It's not a big deal. But, Lord, you deal with my heart, and I confess that. So there's consider, there's confession, and then being content. I think a lot of this would not happen in our lives if we would learn to be content. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy, learn to be content. It's something that needs to be learned. And parents, is something that we need to display in our own lives. And it is something that is caught by our children and by other people around us when we are discontent, where I want more and I want this position. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to be promoted to a position at work. Do you understand that? That's okay. But if somebody else gets it, don't be envious and decide that you're going to go on a whispering campaign against them. You accept that Lord, this is what you've done in my life. You have placed me here now. I trust in you. You provide it for me. And Lord, help my heart to be right and I'm going to be here I'm going to act in a godly manner and have a godly attitude to whatever it is whatever situation or person that you know you can become envious I'm not going to be discontent because they have more than me or they have this ministry and I don't have this ministry but Lord I'm going to trust in you that you're going to be the one that you are going to get me to where you need to be you're going to give me every good gift that is good for me, that you're going to work in my life, and, Lord, that you're going to see me through. And so, Lord, I am thankful. So those are three real important things. Consider, consider the Lord, consider your heart. Have the Lord examine your heart like, like Paul or David would write in the Psalms, that, Lord, search me and try me and see if there would be any wicked way in me. Second of all, confess it. And then third of all, be, learn to be content and teach it to your children. That's one of the things that I'm teaching to my kids. As you guys learn to be content, you, God has given you so much, He's blessed you with so much. He really has. <laughs> I remember I was trying to teach that to Luke when he was smaller. And, and um, it was after I went to Thailand, actually. And he wanted this, and he was fussing, and his sister, she had that. And then what had happened is, is that um, I, I can't remember all of it, but I we remember talking with Luke specifically. I said, Luke, you, you know what? You've got to learn to be content with what you have. You're so blessed. And I went to Thailand. Kids, they don't have a bike. They don't have a bed to sleep in. They don't have shoes. They don't have any ice cream to eat. And he's looking at me, those big blue eyes, and I thought this is a good lesson for him. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, can I have some ice cream? <laughs> He didn't quite get it. (laughs) But how any of us, how we can just be so discontent, and I want more, and then when we don't get it, it leads to these kinds of things. The Lord has something for you. Every good thing that He has for you is good. And where He has placed you and what He's given to you and the ministry that He has for you. Learn to be content, okay? Learn to be content. I think that's one of the reasons why our country is such in a big mess. Because we want more, we want more, we want more. People want more. Learn to be content. And if the Lord gives you more, be thankful to Him. He gives you that promotion. Praise you, Lord, for that. If not, I trust you, Lord. But I'm not going to go on a whispering campaign against that individual. It doesn't honor the Lord. And if you go in that route, it will eat you away. Just ask Marion; She became leprous. And you have a heart of thankfulness. I think that's one of the keys as a Christian is you wake up every single day. And Lord, I am thankful for your love and for your grace and your salvation. <laughs> and I want to be used of you today to be a light. And so, Father, we thank you for these reminders that are so important for us. And, Lord, that I pray how it's so easy for us to become envious. It's so easy for us to be discontent, not satisfied. We want more. And Father, that we wouldn't go that way. Father, right now that all of us, in our hearts, would be just so thankful for what you have done for us in saving us and forgiving us. Your promises are for us, your provision. And Lord, that you would work that humility in us. And Lord, that you would work that holiness in our hearts. Father, I pray that um, if there's any of us that are in this room, that as we are just quiet before you in worship for the next few moments, that if there's any kind of discontent, we're murmuring because we're not satisfied, but we want more. Or maybe somebody else has something that we want. Or we want to be seen. Or we want to be in the limelight and it's not happening. But Lord, that we would come to you and know that you see us. And as we serve you in a very humble way, you'll reward us for all eternity. That we don't have to become envious because we're so blessed. We have all the heavenly spiritual blessings that are ours. What more could we want? And that we would, all of us, learn to be content. And Lord, if you bless us with more, praise God, we thank you. But Lord, if not, that's okay. Because Lord, we have you and you are everything. So Lord, just bless this time of worship. It's time of reflection as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to worship for a few moments.